Let me read for us from verse 28 of chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray for us. Lord, guide us in this time as we go into your word. Um. Lord, during our week, we have so many other influences going on, things that shape us, mold us, point us in directions, sometimes uh, very far from you. And we, we just pray you would center us right now, remind us who we are individually, but also as a community and who we are under you and your great love and care for us. So guide us in this time, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts, let it be fertile soil. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, as we think about this idea of security, and I think regardless of what, who you are, what your background, or how much money you have or you don't have, um, most of us, we put a lot of energy into this idea of trying to build a life of security. Um, the thing is, as much as energy we put into it, for most of us, it feels like it's never enough. You know, whether it's a good job, trying to find a good stable job, a good roof over your heads, maybe, um, you know, trying to find good insurance coverage, trying to develop a good retirement plan, having an alarm system for your home. We're trying to build this feeling like our life is secure. It's stable. It's not going to fall apart. But the truth is, for many of us, as much as we do, as, as hard as we work, as much as we try to create uh, a, some stability and security in our lives, I don't know about you, but often for me, it feels like I'm building this cardboard house around me that's going to fall in any second, depending on if the winds and the storms get a little bit harder. And the thing about human nature that I think is interesting is we tend to believe others don't struggle with this. We kind of think this it's my own thing. I'm the only one that's constantly in fear and worrying, anxiety, and having to push myself. And we think other people don't struggle, especially those who we would think they're living the good life. You know, they are excelling in what they're doing. I, I saw this on someone's uh, Facebook page the other day, this next slide here. Um, I don't know if you can see it too well, but this was in um, Johns Hopkins Public Health Building. And this was a, an advertisement for Are You Overwhelmed? And it was a research study. And basically, I got, maybe it's the money's the, kind of the draw, but basically they were looking for people who are just stressed out of life and want to join this study. And the person who posted this thought it was just really interesting that all of the little number tags were pulled off of this. When every other thing on this bulletin board, they're all just perfectly pristine. No one's touched this one. Everyone had grabbed it off. Just, to, just as it reminds me, for some of us, we think, man, you are like in a, a student in this high-power university and getting a really great degree, and one day maybe you'll, maybe you'll do really well. And we think, man, they, they must never worry about stuff. The truth is, we, we all do, right? Every single one of us. And the thing is, everyone experiences this sense that life can topple over at any moment. For some of us, that's the reason why you work so hard, because you're deathly afraid. If you stop, if you pull your foot off that gas, it's like that cardboard house is going to come down around you. And that's why this verse, and, and the first verse of what we looked at here today, Romans 8.28, personally, my fa I love the whole Bible, but this is my favorite verse in Scripture. That's why Romans 8.28 just changes everything. It, it, this is a game changer. Uh, one pastor, John Piper, he writes that Romans 8.28, it's like walking through a door of love into a massive, unshakable structure where your life now receives stability, depth, hope, power, freedom, as God works through all of your pain and your pleasures for your good. 
I mean, that's what like Romans 8.28 here, that this idea, nothing happens without God's total and unceasing attention on your life. Maybe simply we can boil it down to this. God cares. Maybe that's a simple way to put it. God cares. And the idea that's this idea and the fancy word for God cares is providence. You know, we talk about God knowing and he cares. It's providence. It's never meant to be some far off theological term that some Bible nerds sit in a cafe house and just debate with one another. How much does God really care? What does providence? It's not meant to be that, but it's intended to be a daily source of assurance that there is meaning in a world that often seems chaotic and without purpose. It's, it's supposed to be a real-life reminder that, because, and, and all to pref, we have to preface it by saying, when we look at verse 28 here first, the thing we got to get down, this notion of God's providential care, this is a very specific thing, and it's directed very specifically to Christians. So it, it doesn't mean that God doesn't rule over everyone. God rules over everyone whether they're a Christian or not. And there's this thing called common grace. What that means is whether you are a Christian or not, you will receive certain benefits of just being born. So you do not need to be a Christian to go down the street to the charmery and enjoy an ice cream cone. You don't have to be saved to say, wow, this, how could someone create all these flavors together to make this thing? You do not need to be a Christian to be at the Orioles game. And as it goes into extra innings and, and, and as they win, as they pull it out, like you're celebrating, you're like, wow, you do not need to be a Christian to have a special understanding and joy of what's going on there. God doesn't open your eyes in special ways. So there are certain things just being born, it's a blessing, it's grace. But this idea that God's providence, that it works for the good, is something that's specifically directed to those who are Christians. Um, those who love God, who have been called into fellowship with God from darkness into light. And I'm not saying that to try to be mean, particularly if maybe you're here and maybe you wouldn't identify yourself a Christian. I'm not saying this to try to be a bully. Trying to say, nah, 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 get out. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that here. But I want us to be very clear where we stand. My goal for every single person who ever steps in this church, if they hate everything, and hopefully that's not you right now, but if you hate everything, at least you'll understand very clearly what is a Christian and what is not. Because if you are not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this promise that we find here that it all works for the good, that's not for you. Because it's not meant to be this magic wand that we kind of wave at all the bad stuff. Like, we got really bad stuff. Oh, Romans 8.28. Turn good. It's not meant to be that. This is not like some kind of Harry Potter hocus pocus. That, oh, life isn't a crapper. But if I pull out this 8.28 thing, okay, everything will turn out okay. It's not meaning that everything is going to work out in the end. Every bad situation. And, and we need to know, if you're a Christian, you need to know this as well. Because if you're offering hope to someone who's not a Christian, the worst kind of hope you can offer is one that's not there. When someone is going through something and, and you know they're not a Christian, don't say things like, oh, yeah, it'll all work out in the end. Who knows? Don't, don't say things like that. Rather, hey, maybe you need to view this as a sign of God's mercy trying to direct you to him to lean on him, to trust in him. And, and I say this in love to all of you guys here, particularly maybe if, if you would say, and I'll take an honest look at your heart, say, you know, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not. I mean, I was born in church maybe, or maybe I was baptized when I was a little baby. I, I don't remember it happening. Or maybe my parents are great Christians. But I, 
I'm not quite sure about myself because I want you to deeply consider whether you truly are or not. Whether you've experienced this understanding that Jesus died for you, he took your place. Um, because, you know, I talk to a lot of people uh, in our neighborhood, but even in our church, a lot of people, when, when they're telling their story, they're like, yeah, you know what? I've always believed in God. Well, you know, maybe God's always looked over you, but it doesn't necessarily, I don't think it's biblically true that you've always believed in God. What they mean is I come from a Christian home where my parents believed in God. Salvation is something that each of us has to experience through our own journey with God, understanding we were a sinner. I am a sinner. I needed redemption. I needed hope. I'm saying all that to lay the table because Romans 8.28, for the Christian, it's saying that your entire existence is under the watchful care of a loving God. As it says here, all things, all things. And that's really specific by Paul because he knows that when we start to talk about these kind of things, like all things, it's natural that questions start to come up like, what about the bad things that happened to me that are not my fault? Or maybe, you know, what about the bad things that happened in my life that are my fault? <laughs> or, or, or maybe like, what, are the, what about the bad things that happened to me or to others, whether my fault or not? And, and I can imagine Paul, and, you know, I'm taking a little liberty here. I can imagine almost saying, did I stutter? I mean, did, read my lips here. All means all. That it all works for the good of those who love God, who have been called, into, called according to his purpose. Hear me right when I say that. I'm not saying bad things won't happen to the Christian. Because if you know Paul, this is a guy who wrote about all of the suffer, suffering that he experienced because he followed Jesus. I mean, before he followed Jesus, his life was actually pretty sane and calm. After he followed Jesus, he's getting beaten and stoned and, and, and just threatened with his life and persecuted and talked about it. His life got much harder after he followed Jesus. So this idea, we have to be real crystal clear. Um, your troubles will not all disappear because you follow Jesus. That's just not true. I mean, even Jesus in John 15, right? What does he say? If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And, you know, Jesus, he, he should have made bumper stickers because he would have made, you know, yeah, if you're going to follow me, you're going to experience the persecution. I, what was Jesus' persecution ultimately? Boom, this thing called a cross. He's saying, you're going to follow me? That, that's, that's in your future. So do bad things happen to God's people? Of course. You know, things like disease or bankruptcy, divorce. I mean, the Christian is not somehow exempt from these different kinds of pains and a thousand others. And sometimes Christians are even the cause of some of that kind of evil to other people. If we're, if we're being honest. And guys, here is where an understanding of God's providence, of his care, it's just so crucial because sometimes when bad stuff happens, and I think people are really well-meaning when they do this, but they sometimes say things like, you know what? God was not involved in that. God, God was not involved. Almost like somehow God stood aside during those times, and there were other forces that were the reason these things happened, whether it's like Satan or maybe it's being part of a broken, fallen world or, or it was nature. And I want to make sure you hear me say, I'm, I fully affirm um, at our church, we do not believe God is the author of evil. But think about what that's saying if we say that God was not involved. It's, it's asserting that there are some circumstances in life over which God has no control. 
If we're saying that God was not, we're saying that somehow there are certain things that happen in life that God just kind of steps back and says, sorry, guys, this is out of my, out of my wheel. I, I can't do anything about this. That as you journey along life, that there are certain times when God's providence and his care are somehow removed. And it's basically up to you to fight against evil through your own strength. And if there are times where there's no assurance of God's care, then there can be no assurance of his love or definitely security. Who's going to feel secure in worshiping a God who says, sorry, guys, couldn't be there 24-7. You know, I, even God needs a timeout. Who, who, who can feel secure with a God like that? Because that's a miserable, terrible, fearful way to live. And thankfully, I think when we look in Scripture, it's not descriptive of the God that we see there. Because Romans 8.28, what assures, assures us is that God cares about even the smallest, most incidental things in your life, like the death of a bird or the loss of a hair. For some of you who are losing hair, feel Good that God even notices, right? Like Matthew 10 tells us, even the details that everyone else thinks are trivial are governed under the caring hand of God. He knows. And here it's described, this kind of care is described, all things working together for good. And sometimes people view good as kind of a material goodness, and I don't think that's totally inappropriate, but it's a deeper good than that. The good he's talking about here goes even deeper than nice things in life. The good that Paul's referring to is described in verse 29 here, becoming more like Jesus. That's the kind of good that he's talking about because God's care, his providence on your life, the reason he takes care of you, it's so that you would become more holy. And as we see in verses 29 to 30, there's an order of how that works in our lives. Um, I think we have it up on the screen here. First, there's foreknowledge. This idea of God foreknew. And sometimes for some of that gets a little antsy when we start to go into this territory of God knew. What, what, what does that mean? But we have to make sure we, you know, we're reading carefully what's there. Paul doesn't say here that God knew something about those who are eventually glorified. What it seems to say is Paul says God foreknew them. He knows them. This is a very relational thing. It means that God loved these people before they had an existence. That when we trust in Jesus for salvation, it's because God has set his eyes on us for eternity. A great way that I've been able to think on this this week, that our faith is not the reason God loves us. Some of you might heard, you need better faith. No, actually, what the scriptures say, our faith is not the reason God love, loves us. God's love is the reason why we can have faith. Two totally different ideas. Our faith is not the reason God loves us, but God's love is the reason why we have any hope at faith. And from there, we go from foreknew to predestined. And you're like, oh, no, you're not going to touch that. Yeah, we will a little bit. We talk about predestination, right? What this simply means is that God has determined to save us. That God has made a plan that he's going to save people and that he will ensure fellowship with them for eternity. And when we look at Ephesians 1, you don't have to turn there, but Ephesians 1, 4 says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And verse 5 continues, he predestined us for adoption. That there's a sense that it's not all willy-nilly, chaotic, whatever happens, happens. It's some random cosmic. No, God has a plan. Before we were ever even born, God had a plan. And, you know, I, I readily admit things like predestination, they are not easy concepts to digest. Um, honestly, it might bring up more questions than answers for some of us. 
But I would suggest every Christian, even, even those of us who are kind of opposed to this idea of predestination, we, we would acknowledge the truth of God's sovereignty and salvation. That God is the one who saves. That God is the one who's got to get this done. Because if we, say we were doing a baptism service and someone got up here in front and they just start telling their story. I mean, we would all laugh, maybe inside or outside, if they just said, man, you know that whole salvation deal? Wasn't that brilliant? <laughs> didn't I do an amazing job? I mean, we would all think, well, wow, this person's off the rocker. They didn't, they didn't do it. God did it. We, we have this understanding so even as some of us have legitimate questions, maybe the thing I would encourage you to do is recognize the mercy that was involved in salvation. Recognize this idea that if we see God is sovereign and he's providential, that it humbles us to know that we couldn't save ourselves, that we couldn't earn it. And it also gives us hope because all of us, we have people in our lives that we feel are like beyond the reach of God. And maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're your best buddies. Maybe they're people you work with that you would say, there is no hope for them at all. <laughs> I mean, you want to know definition of a sinner, Wikipedia, their face would show up. I mean, that, that's how we think, right? That some people are beyond the reach of God. But what this does is gives us incredible hope that no one is beyond the reach of God because he's the one that does the saving. Amen? And it should give us great hope not to give up on people, to keep pressing with people, keep loving them, keep praying for them, keep embracing them. Even when all they do is give you a spiritual middle finger when you talk about Jesus, don't give up because you don't know what God is doing in someone's life. So we move that from that idea of, of, of from predestined into calling. And simply, you know, calling, it might take on a lot of different external forms. Um, it might be a sermon or it might be a conversation uh, with a friend. But what calling means is that every, converse, every conversion, it happens as a result of God calling someone. It's God's work again. And he calls someone into fellowship with, and union with Jesus Christ. That God is the initiator to a rebellious person. So we have calling. And from calling, we see the work of justification. And one way um, I've understood justification for myself, and that's a big, fancy theological word, right? You might have even heard people say, are you justified? You're like, what does that even mean? Um, a way I've, I've understood it is in Christ, when he died, part of the process happens is that we, if we receive that salvation, we are justified. And someone told me once, you can remember say, the way God views us then is justified, never sinned, or justified, fully obeyed. That when we are in Christ, we have a whole new identity. So the way that God looks at us, and he doesn't see just you anymore. He sees Christ in your place. So he sees you just if I'd never sinned or justified, fully obeyed. And I, I want to just do this really quick illustration here. Can I ask two of you to come up here really quick? Come on, come on. Two people, two volumes. All right. What's your name, buddy? God. Okay. You're going to be Christ. I need one more person. And you, you strike somewhat of a Christ-like figure. So what's your name again? Jacob. Okay, you're going to be us. And um, we've commissioned an artist to produce these little things here. Um, but one way Martin Luther explained this idea that on the cross, there was this great exchange to happen. So obviously, Christ was the one up physically on the cross. And we hear that he took upon himself all the sins. But what happens when Christ died for sins, when we receive him, there was this great exchange. So what happens? Christ took our sins. You can take that. Jesus took all of our sin, all of our shame, 
all of our pain upon himself. And that's why he took the penalty of sin. That's why he had to go through this thing called a cross. We, on the other hand, were exchanged and we received the righteousness of Christ. So sometimes when we think about being saved, we just think about Jesus takes away our sin. That part's true, but he's not just he takes away our sin. It's also a positive thing. He gives us the righteousness of Christ. So now when God looks at us, if we are in Christ, he sees the beauty and the wholeness and the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus. We're on the cross. Jesus took the penalty and the wrath of our sin. Does that make sense? You guys can keep those as mementos of today. Feel, feel free to do that. Thank you, guys. And that's just a simple way to imagine justification. Justified, never sinned. Justified, fully obeyed. And finally, from justification, we see glorification. And this is the process of when we will fully be made into the perfect image of God. And if you struggle, if I don't know if any of you struggle in your faith, any of you ever feel like you're a failure, any of you feel like you mess up, welcome to the club, because that's all of us. Because that part is called sanctification, growing more and more like Jesus. Your whole life will be spent falling and getting back up and changing and growing. Glorification is the promise that one day you will be fully in the image of Christ. There is going to be no more struggle. And sometimes my heart just like weeps waiting for that day because I struggle hard with my sin. And, and the thing is, most people speak of glorification as this deep thing in the future, which it is. But that's the marvel of what Romans 8.28 is teaching us here of God's loving care. It is so certain that we will be glorified that Paul can speak of it as if something has taken place. That's how much God cares for us. And his promises to be sure. What it means is that God's love is invincible. That God's purpose is to make us more like Jesus to completion. They're not going to be defeated. I mean, it might take a lot of trials. It might like take a lot of tribulation struggles. But one thing we know for sure, God will not let go. Amen. God will not let go. And here's the thing where we need to bring this into our lives because all of us, if you've been in church enough, you're going to hear these things. You're going to hear, oh, yeah, God is in control, you know, and you'll sing the songs, and you're like, oh, yeah, God is big. He's bigger than me. The, the way that it becomes real in your life is how you respond to this doctrine. That's what makes it real. A um, couple of examples, one example. We think about our decisions, and many times in our lives, our decisions, they reveal what we fear. The choices you make in life reveal what you ultimately fear. So for some of us, say if you're a student, the reason that you're going to stay up all night to study is you fear getting a grade lower than what you want. Fear will often determine a lot of our decisions for how we approach our play, how we approach the opposite sex, how we approach our money, how we approach work, school, all of these different things. And in the end, what your fear is asking you is, do you really believe God cares enough in this situation? One example that's just, I think, relevant for many of us, and, and I know a lot of my ministry in the past, even in my own life, but it, it, in the area of, of relationships and dating, you know, romantic relationships, and I talk to a lot of young men or young women that they're real big, and, and what happens is when that fear becomes over-encompassing, it will cause you to make decisions on perhaps who you will be with that in your heart, if you're a Christian, you know is not good for you, that will not help you to become more like Christ. But if that fear is big enough, you'll, you'll, you'll do it. And many times you'll make decisions or actions that you'll regret because you know in the heart of hearts, this is not helping me to grow close to Christ. But I fear so much being alone. 
And into that situation, you need to bring this theology, this doctrine that says, do you believe God cares for you? Even if maybe your worst case scenario, you don't have someone right now. Do you believe God still cares for you? That's where you have to ask and bring these things in the light of your life. That's even in my worst fears coming true. Do I somehow believe this gospel that says, even if everything else is crumbling, that God still loves me and that God still has me and that he's my, and he will not let go. Because let's be honest, that's where a lot of us, our faith doesn't really meet our life because we don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't believe that even if things go wrong, that God still cares for us. Even if we don't achieve what we wanted to, that God somehow must still care for us. We really don't fully believe. And that's one of the reasons why God has given us to church. And I, I hope you guys like coming and, and coming to church and attending. And for some of us, it might just be ritual. Like maybe you were born in this and you just do that every week. But one of the reasons God has given us to church, obviously, is for his glory. But it's for your growth. That God knows that we are prone to ourselves. Again, do north is us. And we need a church community to provide a place where we're going to be reminded God is number one. And also he's called us to love our neighbor as ourself. And as I say that, the reality is getting involved in the church will stretch you. Everyone, none of none of you I know in this room are just sitting here. Man, I am just so bored. There's like nothing going on in my life. I wish there were a church that could provide me some stuff to do. I'm just that's that's my hope and prayer. None of us are there. We're all busy. We've all got stuff fighting for your attention. But the reason we give you opportunities to serve, the reason why we encourage you to get connected to other people, the reason why you we encourage you to get to know some people, is maybe you need a little interruption in your life. Maybe you need a little um, reorienting of what your life is about to be reminded your life is not ultimately all about you, but it's about God and his kingdom. And he's given us to church as a means to do that. So I think just a practical way for you to take a step of faith is take a step to serve in some way. Get connected. Be involved. Maybe volunteer for one of these things. Um, maybe, maybe it's getting to know your neighbor. Maybe it has nothing to do with the buildings of this church. Maybe it's getting to know your neighbor, serving in some way. But I will guarantee you, these things are going to be things to test your heart because it's going to draw out what you fear. And maybe because I, I'm currently starting school again, it's fresh on my mind. When you're in school or if you're in work, you will always be encountering the need to do more. The need to get a better grade. The need to put in those extra minutes. And what happens then is things that God might be calling you to do, you're going to always let it go through this um, prism of, how is this going to help me get this done? Because I'm fearing, what if I don't get it done? I'm reminded of, uh, I'm going to share the story with some of you guys. I'm reminded of a press professor I had my first, uh, first, first, first orientation to seminary a long time ago. Um, he looked out over the incoming class, and he, he basically they said, some of you in this room, if you get an A this semester, you will have been sinning. And, you know, I'm a good Asian, so I looked up as a law. I had, that is a foreign concept, sir. I've never heard of anything like that. Blasphemy. You know, what are you talking about? What he meant was there are some people that are just the folks that you and I might dislike. They can read something once and like, boom, it's like, it's like in their brains and they can pop out an A, like no problem at all. And they can still go work out, still have a balanced meal and still smile. And you're like, again, we're all bitter and behind the scenes. There are some people like that. There are others probably more like me that for me to get an A might mean that I've been sacrificing the relationships in my life. 
that I have not been paying enough attention to my wife, that I have not been a good daddy to my kids, that I have not been taking care of my health, that I have not been serving in my church, that I have not been reaching out to people as I maybe should. And this is not just students. This is all of us, right? That we have to reorient. And it, But the thing is, if a church just gets up in front of you and just says, you need to learn to sacrifice yourself. You need to give up. and you need to At that point, none of us will be motivated by that because we'll be like, because we're, we're self-prone. It has to come to the core idea of Romans at 28. Does God care for me? Do I truly believe what's being spoken of here? That even if I give what I feel is sacrificial, that what I feel is beyond what's, do I believe that God still cares for me and that he's got my life and I don't have to stress so much about getting this done? doesn't mean we don't work hard, but that I believe God ultimately cares about me more than I care for myself even. And that's where these lessons start to meet, the rubber meets the road, where our theology starts to come practically. Ask yourself, what do you fear? And is God enough for those situations? And, you know, I think Paul writes about these things like Romans 28 in a deep, deeply hopeful way. Because the truth is, we all encounter situations in our life that make us question whether God cares or not. I don't know if any of you ever, maybe you've lived a charmed life if you've never had to doubt God caring for you. Most of us, we go through weekly, monthly, sometimes daily situations where we just ask, man, does God even give a rip? He's even there? Is this just some cosmic joke? And in the times of your greatest trial or suffering, I think Romans 8.28 on its own, without any context, can almost seem a little bit cruel. Um, Almost like a bumper sticker, right? Almost like a way to shoo away our problems. Oh, yeah, God cares for all the things, and, you know, he, he works it all. I mean, almost like a kind of way to shoo away pesty people who've got real, real problems. But can I encourage you that as you go through trials, as you go through difficulties, that Romans 8.28, it might not even mean that you fully understand the why of what you're going through. Maybe Romans 8.28 means on this side of glory, while you're still in your fleshly body, you might never understand why some of the things in your life that happened, why they happened. And for some of us who want real black and white, kind of like, give me the reason. Maybe the reason I'm saying is we're never going to know while we're still in these broken bodies. And only on the other side of glory might you fully know why everything happened. That there are some things that you encounter in this life you're never going to be able to fully comprehend. But that's the thing. Though you might not fully understand the why, and you might even have very legitimate questions, the one thing that you cannot say is that God does not care. One thing you can't say is God doesn't care. Because we have much context behind Romans 8.28. And as I was thinking about this, this is totally not going to sound very spiritual, but follow me. Um, This past summer, we, we took some vacation time with our family. We went to the shore. We went to the beach. And my kids, they just have this fear of water. So they just, my little one still, like, she, she's hilarious because you put her down in the sand, she just starts running the other way, you're screaming like we've been beating her with a stick or something, right? She's like, ah! Like, she fears. But our bigger one, our, our older one, she's starting to develop a desire to go into water, but she still won't go in the ocean by herself. She needs me holding her hand. And she especially wanted to go in a little bit deeper, so she's like, can you hold me? So I'm holding her in my arm, and we're going out into the water. And, you know, the water's like the waves are coming pretty hard. Um, 
And the thing is, she at first she's like struggling. She's like, every time a wave's about to come, she's like, I'm like, whoa, 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 I'm gonna drop you if you keep doing that. You, you can't do that, right? You need you need to stay in my arms. Believe that daddy's got you. Daddy's not gonna let you go. I will not let you go. And after a while, she got used to it, and she's good. But I remember this one particular way, because we just, you know, maybe it's my personality. We just started going out deeper and deeper as far as we could. And I'm sleeping, like, I'm like on tippy toes and trying to hold her above water. And, you know, every time the wave's coming, laughing. at it. But this one wave started coming. We're like, oh, big kahuna. And it's just a big thing. And it totally went over our heads. And what I did, I had to pretty much, I got swept under. So my feet went out under me. And I, like, pretty much my fingers, I'm like trying to put them into the ground because we weren't that deep, trying to put them to the ground while I'm balancing and trying to hold her above the water at the same time. And I know she got a little bit, but basically she was held above the water. She was kept safe, but it took me being almost drowned like a rat underneath the water. And, And the reason why I shared that silly story is this idea, God will not let us go. And he cares, and ultimately we know that he cares because this thing called the cross showed that things like Romans 28 lived out, that it looked like everything is crushing. It looks like everything is dying. It looks like it's a big mistake. It looks like God didn't know what's going on. Oh, man, his son died. That wasn't part of the plan. Yes, it was. God knew exactly what he was doing. For us to receive salvation and God's care took the Son of God to be taken under the water, to be drowned, to die on a cross. He conquered sin and and the grave, but he died. And we have to remember that in the promises that when you're going through hard times, maybe some of it you feel like it's taking you under and you don't have anything left. You can question, and hopefully our church will always be a place where you can ask real questions and say, I have no idea why God is doing this. I'm a little mad right now, actually. But the one thing that you can't question is whether he cares because you know that, yes, he cares because it happened to his own son on the cross. And just like that silly daddy, I mean, I'm, I'm a doofus daddy would try my best to keep my kid above water. God promised us that he will never let us go. Everything might feel like we're being let go. You might feel God is like dangling you like a yo-yo, <laughs> but God will not let you go. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to ask our music team to come up.